Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back show, where intimacy is real. If you desire to intimately connect with yourself, significant other, children, family, friends, community, and higher power, then this is the show for you. We explore intimate topics, inspiring life stories, spirituality, and insightful tips on strengthening relationships. The show is hosted by Dr. April and her co-host, Coach K. Let's get this episode of the Bringing Intimacy Back show started. We share with you today the secret power to intimacy to create the life you love or love the life you create. Now here's your host, Dr. April and her co-host, Coach K. Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back show where intimacy is real. Ah, well, I know everyone's like looking and say, oh, where's Coach K? I see a new face. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Coach K is off this week, but I want to welcome a, a gentleman who's been helping me in my private practice and he started his own. Yes. Welcome, Jose. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. I, I, I did um, the last show, I think, with Coach K and was, what was a great experience too. Yes, yeah, that was when I was off in um, Costa Rica, um, which was a wonderful experience. Yes, yes, with helping with the couples in the sense of being intimate, in the sense of looking at all forms of intimacy. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things that came up for me when I was on this retreat in Costa Rica, um, we had a process of spiritual intimacy. And in that spiritual intimacy, we talked a lot about healing, you know, and so I'm so glad that we have this topic today, the remarkable healing power of crisis, because many people are hurting today, Jose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and doctor, if you heard that topic, sounds like a contradiction. It's like a crisis and healing in the same sentence, it's like a, it's like the, it's, it's an opposite, right? It's like it's not the, it's difficult to assimilate that could be part of of a like uh, of a line of a, a continuity because a crisis could uh, bring you a healing. I don't know, like it sounds like a like a contradiction for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but for many people, they don't even see like when you think of crisis and crisis for people can be different. You know, for some people, a divorce is crisis. Others, you know, it's grief, loss of a pet, loss of, you know, a child, a variety of things, but they don't think they can heal. When you're in a crisis, sometimes you can't see past your hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, well, I, I know that the our guests probably will, will um, expose better, but um, when I I read read a little bit about about the about our guest, um, for me it was difficult because I have two kids, and I know that um, she lose somebody very important in her life, and you know for me it was like a uh, for what for me it was a trigger because I only can I I, I can imagine that lose two of those people that are really important in my life and you know 
yeah, I don't know. It's like uh, I was, I just was thinking in, in like loud, uh, and you know. Yeah, well, you're right. Um, and yes, I guess who's coming on, and we'll talk about her in a moment. You're right. She's she's coming from had such a traumatic incident that happened to her for crisis, and mm -hmm. many people when they have crisis of that traumatic when it's cause of loss of grief. They cannot get over it. Yeah. No, they get they get stuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, yes. I think we heard uh, about those stories like uh, every day about uh, with our clients. Like it's difficult for them to overcome their situations. Um, yeah, you can be stuck in that situation if you don't. Uh, don't receive help i think and also you need to put a lot of yourself um to overcome that situation right and i like exactly what you said you need to put a lot of yourself and one of the things that we do here um every month is we honor a nonprofit, a charity and our charity for the for this month i just want to talk a little bit about it before we bring on our guests it is the charity of love yourself foundation because when you're in trauma and you have crisis, one of the ways to start to heal from it is to start to love yourself, which even means just going and getting help. That's one step in trying to help yourself. So um, what it's called is the WW, the LY, love yourself, foundation.org. They really do help create uh, help for humanity and creating a more sustainable world. So please definitely check that out. Mm -hmm. Great workshop. And so when we come back, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, the remarkable healing power of crisis with Suzanne Falter, which I've had on the show before. She's a wonderful lady. And so I look forward to um, speaking with her again on this topic. We'll be back in a moment. A must-have for parents-to-be, first-time parents, empty nesters, and parents all around. There are infinite ways to parent a child, but the trick is trying to figure out the best way that fits you and your child. Create strong connections during pregnancy to not pulling your hair out during the terrible twos, navigating puberty, and having adult conversations with your adult children. The Intimacy of Parenthood covers it all, and it is now on Amazon, available in Kindle, Audible, and paperback. Welcome, Suzanne, to the show. Thank you. Appreciate yes. it, Dr. April. I'm really glad to be here with you and Jose. Yes, definitely. Um, I know you were on the show a few years ago, and you talked about your story. Um, Jose is new, and we may have some new leaders or listeners. Yes. Can you describe to us um, your background and how yeah. you got into this work? Right. Well, I've been a writer for more than 40 years, and... Um, you know, done all kinds of self-help books and such. And and really, uh, the subject we're talking about today came about for me because 11 years ago in 2012, my daughter Teal, who was 22 at the time, dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And um, she had epilepsy, but, and it's not known why she died, or what the cause of her death was, although sometimes people with epilepsy very rarely can have a sudden unexpected 
death due to cardiac arrest. And that's what happened to her. And, um, you know, at the time I was working as a online marketing coach and I was very busy and very self-involved and very wound up in my struggles. And I was not thinking about what I needed in my life. I was not thinking about how to be a better person or anything like that. I was thinking about how to make money. And I was very focused on it. And I was working, um, really working too hard. And, um, you know, that's kind of where this story started. Because I realized the minute I saw her in the hospital when she was in the ER and she was unconscious and her heart had been started, but, you know, she only lived a few more days. I really saw that, um, you know, this was my opportunity to completely redo my life and live a life that was worthy of teal because she was very different and a really extraordinary person mm-hmm. yeah how did she i mean when people expect to kind of lose their parents in some aspect <laughs> yeah right yeah yes yeah but no one expects to lose their kid no no, yeah. I had had dinner with her two hours before she collapsed and she was acting a little weird, but I didn't think too much about it. And in fact, I later realized she was having what they call absence or petite mal seizures. And uh, she was very spacey and, um, you know, it was subtle. It was really subtle. And we had been told, oh, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to her. She just take her meds. Everything will be fine. <laughs> it really wasn't that truth. Now, of course, people with epilepsy are told what all the different possibilities are, which is great. But when she was diagnosed many years earlier, it was not the case. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like so much of this event was about a reboot. And it's great that you have chosen this, this topic of the healing power of crisis, because crisis In that situation, I had to make a change. I knew my life was not sustainable. I knew the things that really bothered me deeply, like the work I did and the relationship I was in. I knew it all had to go. And in fact, it had started falling apart even before her death. But her death became the catalyst not only to pull away from what was not working, but for me to do a dramatic inward turn and to just really see the reality of my life and tell the truth about it and begin to make changes as I grieved, which is what I did. And it was how I really was able to handle her death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you, when that process and that journey, um, I do believe you said, I know earlier from the other show that she, and then did she visit you or how did she, Uh, Yeah. All right. All right. So to get down to it, you know, um, the interesting thing about this was that Teal wanted to be a healer. And I think I spoke about this before, but she really felt the purpose of her life was to be a healer and particularly to help women and girls who had panic and anxiety and heavy stress. That's what she thought she was here to do. And she was just about to start taking this esoteric bunch of classes at City College in San Francisco, where we lived, um, the next day, the day after her collapse. And she, yes, that this would happen. Never. 
never. Um, you know, so that that was strange to begin with. But she had called me up the day before her collapse and said, Mom, I think uh, I might be about to have a really big seizure. And I said, okay, we should go down to the ER and get you checked out. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. Something about this experience is, is um, connected to my life purpose. Mm. Okay. What's connected to your life purpose? Well, you know, I know I'm supposed to help these people and something about this is related to that. That was literally what she said to me. So, you know, then, then there I am with her all stretched out in a coma in front of me. And, you know, they're basically saying, we don't think she can survive because, you know, her heart was started after like half an hour and her brain had been completely destroyed by lack of oxygen. So, um, you know, what I knew was that if she was going to die, I had to take on the healing work. Mm. So somehow in my grief, I began driving around the wine country in California, Northern California, where um, I still live. And uh, I, I now live in Oakland, but then I lived up in um, up in uh, the wine country. I'm driving the back hills. It's very beautiful there. And there's, you know, just vistas, green vistas around me. And and as I drove, I became more and more relaxed. And about two months after that experience of losing her, I began to feel this very tingly light energy around me. Mm-hmm. And um, it had first appeared when I was in the hospital waiting, you know, in this weird waiting period. We were trying to figure out whether she was going to come out of this coma or not. And I felt it around me in the middle of the night. And I sort of jumped up and I was like, is that you, Teal? And, and she said, yes, it is. And, um, and I said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And she said, don't rush me. <laughs> Just don't rush me. And that is exactly how she was as a kid. You know, she was like, do not tell me what to do. You know, I will determine the sane course. You back off. And, and I mean, she had excellent judgment. So that was often the case. Um, And, you know, she said that to me and I kind of bided my time and she kept saying, I need to reconcile my heart with my soul. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I did know that there was this tingly, vibrant energy and it was teal and it was talking to me. So when it happened again a few months later in the car, I began to really understand what it was and not be afraid of it and feel motivated by it and feel inspired by it. And um, eventually it got to be that every time I got in the car, I would connect with Teal. And she would do this sometimes. Now, she was a singer and her work was to go around the world with her little guitar in her backpack and set up shop on a street corner in, you know, Amsterdam or, or Thailand or wherever she was and just start playing music. She was an incredible blues singer and she made money that way. And it sort of meandered around the world like that. So, um, you know, that's why this book about this experience is called free spirited because she was free spirited. And as a result of connecting with her, I became a lot more free spirited. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I had this iPod shuffle. This was 11 years ago, plugged into my phone. I mean, my car and, um, I would just turn it on and it had 2000 songs on it. Maybe 20 were of teal. That's 1%. Mm -hmm. 1%. 
And every time I was really needing to connect with her, one of her songs would come on my shuffle. Oh, wow. That's pretty weird. Yes. So sometimes they would be really apropos to what I was thinking about, or I would turn on the radio in the car and a song okay. would start playing. Okay. You know, Helen Wolf singing 300 Pounds of Joy was yes. one of her, she loved the blues. She loved Helen Wolf. And that was playing while I was really asking, come on, you know, God, higher power, show me this purpose of this hard experience. Right. And it was to return to joy. Right. So, yeah. So what yeah, is realignment, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you just even mentioned that's really important in all this is finding the purpose. Hmm. When, when there's a crisis, you know, something happens, finding that life purpose and how that can lead to healing, you know? Yeah. Very much so. And, you know, in terms of the life purpose, there is something that is often said in the community of people who lose children, which is you can either be better or you can be bitter. And, you know, you get to decide what the course of your experience will be. Mm -hmm. And I went to some grief groups where I saw people who had lost children who were still angry after almost 20 years and still talking about their rage and how could she have, you know, taken those pills or whatever it was. And I was very, uh, aware. It was sort of like, whoa, okay. I was very aware that I had to carve out a path for myself that was going to be positive and beneficial to other people as well as myself. Mm. And I am a writer. So, you know, basically I started to write my way through it. And I didn't share the experiences. I had many visions and many kind of waking dreams of Teal as well as connecting to her in the car. And one in particular, you know, I hadn't worked for oh, a good year and a half after she died. I just couldn't work. And I was living on my savings in a friend's guest room for free in her house. You know, I was just like really bootstrapping it. And um, I had I had ended this business that was way too stressful and I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was not in alignment with who I am or anything like that. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I kept, you know, worrying about it and praying about it and sweating it out. And uh, two things happened. The first thing that happened was that um, one day when I was sitting in this little office space I had trying to figure out what to do next, I heard Teal whisper to me, mm. clean out your inbox. Mm. So I'm like, okay, inbox, interesting. I do have an inbox and it's like, you know, loaded with old right. papers. I haven't cleaned it out for years. What's in there? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I cleaned it all out. I went through the whole thing. And at the bottom, there was one piece of paper left, and I'd see nothing that was relevant. I turn over this piece of paper. It's a letter from Teal, and she wrote it to me six months before her death. And it's all about how she and I are meant to be leaders in light together. Wow. And that she had gotten this message from a channeler, and that we had not gotten along in previous lives, but in this life, we were really supposed to partner. And she closed by saying, I support whatever light leadership you want to bring to the world. Wow. And it was kind of an open invite, right? Right, right. So, so then a few weeks later, I wake up and I have this vision of the bathroom door down the hall with white light streaming out around the edges of the, of the closed door. Mm -hmm. And she had collapsed in a bathroom in her apartment. So this was very apropos. And I said to her, are you in there? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why won't you let me see you? 
And she said, I don't want you to get distracted. I'm like, okay, what's the message? And she said, you are whole and complete and ready to go back to work. So in being whole and complete and ready to go back to work, I just basically was like, okay, universe, send it in. What am I supposed to do? I just need clarity here, please. And within about a month, I was offered a job writing fiction for an investor. And I hadn't published any fiction for 15 years, but this guy knew me and he knew my work. And he was like, you know, it was a wealthy guy. He said, I just want to have fun at this point in my life. And I had this idea for a set of novels and maybe you'd write them. And I could tell you about the character I have in mind. And he just let me write these books and he funded them. Mm. And uh, it was really wide open. And I ended up writing eight novels for him over the next eight years. And uh, it was really fun and wonderful for me. It really got me started again. Right. Wow. I love that story. And I love how you said that in um, grief, or even I'm just thinking, even with any kind of crisis, we could think about the choice of either being better or being bitter yep. and how that impacts our approach toward, or even should we go toward healing? Yeah. And you know, healing is a choice. We think we want to heal, and sometimes it requires doing difficult things. Mm -hmm. We think healing should be easy and comfortable and convenient and on our time schedule. <laughs> well, that's why we're talking about crisis, because sometimes we need to be picked up and shaken upside down until the sense returns, right? Right, definitely. I don't know, um, Jose, if you had clients who were just stuck, you just didn't want to heal. They're just stuck in their crisis. Yeah, in the process. And Susan, I have a question. How you identify that voice, like teal voice? How, mm -hmm. uh, how feels like, because you told me that you feel like a tingling, something. Mm -hmm. How do you identify that? that vibe, you know, like that, because sounds like a little bit spiritual, right? Yeah, very much so. And it, and it is exactly what you said, Jose, it's a vibe. It's like a very high vibe. So it's, it's an excited, tingly, joyful feeling. It was like a blast of joy. You know, the, the white light coming out of the bathroom door, it's just high frequency. And um, I felt like each time I would ask, is this teal? And I would just be flooded with the knowing that it was. Mm -hmm. That certainty would come with the feeling. And, you know, I have to say it's changed over the years. It's, it's no longer as vivid as it was in the maybe two or three years right after her death. But that's to be expected because she showed up potently when I was really broken and grieving. And then as I healed her energy receded a little bit and I can still bring her forth, but it's a let, I don't do it often because I don't need to. She's in her path. I'm in mine. We're good. You know, I wrote the book. Everything's <laughs> happening just as it should. And, um, but I do get messages, you know, and I mentioned to you before we started Dr. April that I'm writing a book about my dad, who was an artist and I, he died 42 years ago. And I still think about, uh, him, of course, as we all do. But I woke up with one of his little funny sayings, 
like I had asked him a question as I was waking up in my sleepiness and he had answered it with one of his little funny sayings from my childhood that I remember. And, um, you know, like, like the commit, the, the transmission was made. And then he said this little phrase over and out, like you would say on a shortwave radio or something. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. He was right there. So, you know, I've heard other people say they know about spirits because they communicate in some sort of little familiar code. And it's just a little hit. It isn't like a big elaborate thing. Yeah. And I, when you talk about um, that grief process, I think it's very, I don't know, but for me, it's, it's very interest, interesting because I remember when I lose my grandfather, I feel like very sad. I feel like I lose something important in me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was it interesting because I think that I closed that process well, because one time I have a dream and I remember that I saw him very happy, mm. like, like very peaceful. And I remember that he, he talked with me and he said, hey man, you need to be a chill. I'm good. I feel good. I'm I'm good here. And for me, I think was like that was it was interesting because was that the connection that I need to to leave him like and feel more like comfortable with the feeling that he he is getting a better life. I don't know where, mm -hmm. but he's getting a better life. And I need to be like, um, you know, like um, chill about the idea that he's better than probably than me. I don't know, like, because when we lose somebody, sometimes we have the feeling of guilty. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. we can feel that 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 um, feeling, you know, like, I don't know if that happened with you, um, but... You know, it's like when when that happened, you you think that you could de you could do more, you can spend more time, and you know, mm -hmm. I think that process is very important to have a like a, a great close in your in your. Own. No, I I agree. Closure is is the the healer in grief, and there is a phase of grief they call bargaining, which is about if I'd only done this, that would have happened, and I definitely went through that with Teal, and I was very guilty because I had just had dinner with her and I didn't insist, you know, she go to the emergency room or whatever. Although later I talked to doctors who said there's nothing they could have done to prevent it. You know, that, that just maybe if it had happened in the hospital, but then she would have lived with, Oh my God, I had an almost fatal cardiac arrest. <laughs> That's hard to live with. Right. At 22. So I, I feel that um, that bargaining is always part of it. And we're just, uh, we need to know on some level that this person who suddenly left or even anticip we anticipated that they left, that suddenly they're just not there. And it's bewildering whether you anticipated their death or not. And uh, that, that is a part of the conscious psyche that needs to be re relieved, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And I, and I think with, um, having loved ones on the other side or in our realm that we can't physically see. Sometimes yeah. 
they're in a different realm and they may be able to see more than what we can see in our physical mm -hmm. aspect. And I kind of like with Jose, I had a grandmother that I can still have a connection with. Yeah. And they can help us. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think also when we talk about this healing power of a crisis, it's truly being fully present so you can go th work through it all. Does that make yes. sense? Being fully present is the really important and perhaps most challenging aspect of this because here we are living with the shock and the grief and the, the, you know, for some women who've suddenly lost their husband or people who've lost partners, husbands who've lost wives, there may be financial insecurity. It's suddenly somebody's got to raise children. They didn't. End, I mean, there's, it gets complicated. Right. And, and it basically life has changed and we always forget that until suddenly it changes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and all we can really do to truly protect ourselves and, and um, honor ourselves and, and practice true self-care is to surrender to the situation. Mm -hmm. You can't fight it. I could not fight the fact that Teal was in that hospital dying. And I knew that from the beginning. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew it. And I had to just go with it and believe that it was going to be for a, a, a higher purpose. And I, you know, other people might not have that experience, but that's the experience I had. And in fact, her organs were donated, something I talk about in the book. And her heart was given to a young woman her age who, you know, that young lady just got married. She has a great career. She bought a farm. I mean, she's doing great. And she had life on hold for eight years before she got Teal's heart because she had congestive heart failure from a virus. So what I want to say is that everything has a purpose, everything. Mm -hmm. And we fight it and we're wired to fight it. And we have these egos that believe that everything should always be the same forever and always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those egos, what can you do? You know, they're here to protect us. God bless them. Uh, but it's not particularly sustainable or practical. So if we're interested in growth and, as you put it, you know, true, truly intimate relationships, we have to evolve. That is what we're here for. Yeah. And I was just thinking because you said um, about remembrance and remembering many times people go through crisis and it leads to a purpose. But they forget about that. And I'm including myself until you said that I forgot that. I mean, I got started in this business. From a crisis. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that changed me from being, you know, working with money and um, an accountant to a counselor, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, how these crises really for us to be um, resilient is one of the words. Mm -hmm. It's finding mm -hmm. that purpose. But mm -hmm. I love how you put it. So you can either be bitter or you could be better. Yeah. 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 And then we bring that out to the world and we connect with more and more people who are also interested in being better, not bitter. I mean, my life is so dramatically different than it was 11 years ago. I'm, I have a happy marriage. I live in a wonderful place. Love Oakland. It's a great city. I'm, I'm given, I've been given so much and I'm doing this interesting book that came to me unbidden. You know, I mean, I never in a million years would have thought I was writing a biography about my dad in my lifetime but what a story. And it's bringing up all these, these questions I always had about his career 
and I've gotten to read his letters and I've gotten to go through, you know, reading um, about his illustrations for the Saturday Evening Post and all the stuff he did in his career. And I really didn't know. I really didn't know. And this is my father, you know, I mean, yeah, it's pretty so, incredible. Yeah. So Susan, if there, Suzanne, if there's someone out there listening and the unthinkable happened to them, mm. and they feel like they don't know what to do. What are three tips you can tell them and how can they find out more information about you? They're in the crisis right now. Well, the first thing you have to do is stop trying to live life as if it's normal because it's not normal. You have a new normal and your new normal needs to be acknowledged. And it may be temporary, but it's different. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you do is you own your reality. And the second thing you do is let yourself fall apart as completely as possible, because that is where the healing is. The body is programmed to process grief if you will allow it. And if you won't, it won't. And you will be stuck with that grief, creating problems in your body for years to come. The, and the third thing to do is get support. You know, we never want to ask for help. It's really hard, even for me, wrote a book about it. I broke my hand. I sprained my foot. You know, I'm, I'm all beaten up right now because I tripped over the dog. And, and truly, I have to get help with all kinds of stuff, like tying my shoes and cutting an avocado. I had no idea how useful that left hand was. But but when you find out that you need help and that help is right there waiting to be given to you, that's the thing we don't even realize. Then you're in sync with the circle of life and you are in sync with the the wonderful abundant energy of the universe. And, and that will carry you through. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for those three tips. Yeah. If people are listening and they want to get in contact with you. How can they find you? Yeah, you can find out more about my books and my work at SuzanneFalter.com, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Okay, awesome. And yeah, and she's written three beautiful, well, four, right? Well, 15 total. <laughs> but the nonfiction, the nonfiction um, is five. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it's your latest book, The Extremely Busy Woman? Well, no, the, the latest book is something called Free Spirited, Spirited. on Amazon. Uh, and you just type in Free Spirited Falter in the Amazon search window and you go right to it. And it has a lot more about this process of healing through crisis. Okay. Yeah. So definitely check her out on, on Amazon and Free Spirit. But she also has Maybe because I'm a busy woman. Yeah. <laughs> she also has a book called Extremely Busy Woman Guide. That's on self-care. Yeah. Self -care. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. And you're my all pleasure. Back. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Are you in a relationship with someone that you see often, but you feel so disconnected with them? Bringing intimacy back can help you bring the intimacy back to your relationship. BIB is dedicated to inspire, enlighten, and encourage intimate connections. Live shows weekly guest speakers with over 29,000 downloads, we can help promote your products and services, grow your business and clientele with BIB. Want to become part of the BIB family? You can now sponsor with us. Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy show where intimacy is real. That was wonderful to have her on the show. Yes. Yeah. And I love how she said, we just need to, when you have a crisis, you own it. You know, don't, don't pretend it doesn't exist. Hey, it exists. And then let yourself fall apart. Cry, 
get upset, just let it happen. Yeah. And of course, get support. I think I will get uh, like um, that you can be better or better. <laughs> I love that. I love that one. I love yes. that. Phrase. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, I like that one too. Yes, definitely. Yes. So, what are some other upcoming shows? Well, in July 27 uh, will be the Soul What Is Good For with Corey Rosenke. August 3, a, a heterosexual relationship as an intersex trans man with Lino Martinez. August 10, can you date someone with a different religi religious belief? Uh, um, the August 17 is building intentional joy habits with Elizabeth Reino. Okay, awesome. Yes, yeah, exciting things. Well, I hope that you will definitely um, come and co-host again sometime with us. Yeah, for, me, for me, it was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. And if you're out there listening, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. This has been the Bringing Intimacy Back show. We'll see you next week on Thursday. See you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Bringing Intimacy Back, where intimacy is real. You can also find us at bringingintimacyback.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Dr. April Brown's seven-book series, Improving Intimacy, is now on Amazon. We'll see you next Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Don't forget to follow, share, and subscribe.